0: This morning we bring to an end our series of sermons in John's Gospel. Uh, we're going to read from John chapter 21. Next week, God willing, we'll begin a series of sermons on Paul's letter to the church in Galatians. But this morning with that, a tinge of sadness we say uh, farewell for the time being to our study of John's Gospel. Alexandra Alexander is going to come and read to us from John 21.
1: John 21, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish a hundred and fifty-three of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I said to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that you remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die but if it is my will that he remain until I come, then what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There ends the reading.
0: Thank you, Colin. Let's again join together in Father, we ask in these moments that your voice might be heard, your word proclaimed, and our response be true obedience. Strengthen us in that task, that we listen, learn, and live for you, we pray, to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I encourage you to have your Bible open at John 21, but also to have a finger in John 18. We, we did mention, uh, as we made our way through John 18, we would leave looking at Peter's denials until we got to chapter 21 of John's Gospel, so uh, we make mention of that as we go. Apologies for an old joke, hopefully you know it because I can't take time to spell it out, but it's the uh, story of the inflatable boy who ran amok with a pin, and he was reprimanded finally by his Inflatable principal of the inflatable school who sat him down and said to him, you've let me down, you've let the school down, and worst of all, you've let yourself down. I wonder, have you ever been on the receiving end of a a talk of shame? Or maybe you have been the one who has dished that out if you're a teacher or a A youth leader, maybe there's had that moment when you've had to sit down with someone and said, you've let yourself down or you've let us down or whatever it might be. The talk of shame. And there are many people who live lives that are constantly crushed with this burden of carrying a load, a sack load of shame every day. When everybody else might have forgotten, when everybody else might have moved on, they are still suffering from this self-condemning guilt. And for people like that, this is a a forgiveness failure. A forgiveness failure. As we look at the passage Alexander read for us, we see that Peter is carrying his own personal sackload of shame. Surely he thought to himself, if only... I had been like the others and kept my big mouth shut. If only I had received and and accepted those prophetic words that Jesus spoke in the upper room. If only I hadn't spoken of my exceptional courage. Back in John 13, 37, 38 records for us. Peter said to him, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. As we seek to understand what was happening in the heart and mind of Peter, we we need to recognize that, that he is an individual who shows significant displays of courage. Remember whenever that cohort of soldiers, at least a hundred armed men, if not more, were dispatched to the garden uh, with their torches by night to arrest Jesus. He alone, Peter alone, had the courage to strike out, even if it was misguided, and to temporarily remove the ear of Malkus. Secondly, whenever Jesus was taken and illegally tried in the house of the high priest, when all the other disciples had fled in fear Peter with John showed remarkable courage and they followed and they watched nearby as the events unfolded. We can't call Peter a card. And yet, in that crucial moment, his confidence failed him. He he floundered in repeated denial. And why is this? Well, it's because there are times when courage is not enough. Something more than mere grit and determination is necessary. Yes, the, the spirit may be willing, but don't we all know that the flesh is far too often very weak? Maybe even there are people here this morning, and you say to yourself, "You know, I I like all this idea of, of Christian. I I I, I think I, I would love to be one." But I know that I'm weak and I couldn't keep it up. And that's absolutely true. You couldn't. And there are people here this morning who profess to be Christians. But even in this week that has passed, they have failed miserably to live as they should. They haven't maintained that task of walking closely with Jesus. I know of at least one of them. So let's see if we can find an answer to the question. Why is our courage not enough? And and what is it that takes us beyond mere human grit and determination? Back in John 18 verse 17 we read, The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Again, John 18, 25-27. Now Simon Peter was standing and warning himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. And it is in the gospel account of Luke that this very poignant detail is added. Luke 22 verse 61, which reads, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And the... Meaning of the word in the original language here, that I turn is just a 180 degree turn. Jesus turns from facing away from Peter to facing at and towards Peter. So the disciple in denial might realize, without any question, that Jesus knew exactly what had transpired in that courtyard. And we have a very significant diagnostic question here. As we need to think through what lay behind this look in Jesus' eyes. When Jesus turned and looked at Peter, what was in his heart? And the answer to that question determines how we feel about the nature of the God we seek to worship. Three options. Was the look in Jesus' eyes towards Peter a look of condemnation? Did it convey the message, I told you so. I knew you would mess up. You're going to have to pay for this. You know, there are so many people who, who believe that's the heart of God toward us. That he has this harsh, judgmental attitude. That God is watching over our lives and he's just waiting for that moment when we mess up so that he can come down hard upon us and punish us for our failing. Was the look of Jesus toward Peter a look of condemnation? Or maybe you imagine this in your mind as a look of comparison and complaint. Maybe you know that disappointed gaze. Maybe you've had to live with it for, for much of your life. A gaze that conveys the message, you've let me down again. You've messed up. Why, why, you know, Peter, why can't you be like the good disciple? Why can't you be like John? John didn't mess up. And some people live their lives in that constant state of comparison and competition. And they they believe they'll never match up. They can't be like those good people they see around them in the seats at First Port of the eye on a Sunday morning. I can't live as well as they do and I feel crushed by my comparison. Condemnation. Comparison. What was in the eyes of Jesus as he looked toward Peter? Or was it the third option? compassion? Was it a look that conveyed the message, yes, Peter, you have messed up. But don't worry. I will take care of this. I will make it right. It's believed that Mark's gospel account was uh, written largely on the uh, reminiscences of Peter, his recollections. And it's in Mark 14.71, his account of these events, that we read, After a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Peter, to make his case, to add weight to his argument, calls down a curse from heaven upon himself. But God is such a God of love. That he allows not us to bear the curse and the consequences of our lives. But the curses fall upon his son as he hangs upon Calvary's cross. Because, scriptures make it clear, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. And the one time a cursed Jesus on the cross arises from the grave. Confirming that he has paid the price for all our sins. Jesus is risen, but, but sadly, Peter hasn't risen from the shame of his failure. Due to his threefold denial, Peter continues to carry with him this, this burden, this sack of shame. Because courage is not enough. But, but Jesus points out to Peter and to us that the primary problem here is not a lack of Courage. But a lack of love. A lack of love, but compassion is available. So we find in, in John 21 this scene by the lake shore, and there's a little fire, a charcoal fire burning there. We we'll only read of charcoal fires twice in, in, in John's Gospel. Once in the courtyard where Peter warmed himself, and here by the lake shore. Now, again, three times. Peter would be challenged to confirm his loving commitment to Jesus. The wounds of his threefold denial were still fresh. But this dialogue is going to deal with the healing of these wounds. Because Jesus is the gentle healer and his purpose is not to punish our sin, but rather it is his joy to cure it. J.R. the senior pastor of Church of the Cross in Texas, explains that Peter's failure on the eve of the crucifixion was not a failure of cowardice, but of lovelessness. For when our mustard courage will not take us far enough, it is only love that can carry us onwards. A supernatural love that God pours into our hearts and lives by his Holy Spirit. So three times over, Jesus asks Peter the same question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? More than these. There is a hierarchy of loves. Since some things are to be loved more than others. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than thee?" again it's an old joke but Billy's watching the football and Sadie comes and stands in front of the TV it's a 60 inch widescreen tells you something about Sadie and she looks at Billy and says Billy I think you love Rangers more than me and Billy's shooing her out of the way says get out of the way woman I love Celtic more than you there is hierarchy of loves. You have to understand this. Hopefully you know that you shouldn't love your car more than you love your dog. And you shouldn't love your dog more than you love your children. And you shouldn't love your children more than you love your husband or your wife. And you should love nothing more than Jesus. And the rule is that you love most that which is most lovable. You love most that which is most lovable. There is no thing, there is no one to be loved more than Jesus. Not self, not, not, not spice, not stuff. None of these can bear the weight of the love that we ought to give. They will only break, they will not remain consistent. But Jesus will not disappoint us. He will never show himself to fail in our investment of love toward him. Verse 17 of John 21. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. In his commentary on John's gospel, Paul Metzger notes. Just as there is no room for Peter commanding himself to Jesus, there is no room for Peter condemning himself either. No commanding or condemning of himself will be tolerated, only clinging to Jesus. You know that I love you, says Peter. He makes this declaration and he does so in utter humility. There's no tinge of self-righteousness here. And with that deep sense of love, he he understands that its source and supply is only to be found in Jesus. Love most that which is most lovely. So Peter had a sack of shame that was caused by a lack of love. But Jesus intervenes in his life and, and restores him so that he would be back in business. Back in business because in Christ's kingdom, failure is never Final. Failure is never final. Can you imagine what the Bible would be like if failure was final? Moses, the murderer. Well, if he was written off of that, there go the first five books of the Bible. What about David, the adulterer, the murderer? If his witness was so tarnished, then his songs would have to be ripped from these pages. Or if Paul, the one-time persecutor of the church, was deemed to be unsuitable, then all his great epistles would have to be torn from these pages. What sort of Bible would there be if failure was final? And yes, the scriptures are Theophanous God breathe, but the men who held the quills were all failures in one way or another. But here's the wonderful good news that failure is never final with God. Yes, we fail. That's why the sinless Son of God had to leave the glory of heaven and come into this world and live the perfect life and die on the cross to make something useful out of the lives of those of us who are abject failure. For God came into this world to pick us up and to dust us down and to get us back in the business of serving Him, of glorifying Him. Many of you will know of the writings of Adrian Plath. He wrote these words. This seemingly insubstantial fact revolutionized my life. I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. But it wasn't until I was 37 that I absorbed an essential truth. God is nice and he likes me. You see, it's not just enough for us to experience forgiveness, but Jesus wants to engage in the process of formation. Formation. He needs to take these vessels of clay with all their chips and with all their cracks and use them for effective service to his glory as treasure bearers, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 we read at the start of our time together. We had this treasure in jars of clay. Tom Wright adds, Somewhere deep down inside there is a love for Jesus and though, goodness knows, you've let him down enough times. He wants you to find that love, and to give you a chance to express it, to heal the hurts and failures of the past, and to give you new work to do. And the commission that God gives to his children is is not something whereby we earn our forgiveness, but being forgiven out of joy for our saviour, we serve as a useful people for our master. And how restorative this would be for Peter. He had messed up, but God had a purpose in his life. And as we come to the very end of of John's gospel, where else would you go but to the middle of Matthew's gospel? Stop for a moment, go back to that hinge point in the life and ministry of Jesus. In Matthew 16, Jesus takes his disciples away up north and he he, uh, gets them alone and he challenges them to think about who he is. And, and Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And, and Jesus commends him for this, his clear confession. And then Jesus began to speak of the, the, the deep challenges that were about to assail him. Matthew, 20, Matthew 16, 21 to 22. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. The disciples wanted a leader, they wanted someone to rule in their lives and in their nation. But they couldn't grasp, as it always is, that the pathway to godly leadership was a a laying down of one's life for the benefit of others. They couldn't conceive of a Messiah who would have to die. But we know the cross was always before Jesus. We've just left the Christmas season and from the birth in Bethlehem it was made very clear that a day of death was determined for Jesus. The appointed time was set for him when he would climb Calvary's hill. And Jesus declared the necessity of this great eternal destiny. And Peter's response is to to ask Jesus to step aside into his office. And there he dares to rebuke and to dress down the Lord of heaven and earth. And to tell him on certain terms that this simply will not do. He said, there will be no cross for you young man. In our text this morning. The risen Jesus takes Peter aside, calls him into his office, and he declares to Peter his destiny and says, there will be a cross for you, young man. Verse 18 of John 21. Truly, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus commands Peter to follow him. And to follow in the footsteps of Jesus is to walk the way of the cross. Jesus over and over again says to Peter, you are to be the shepherd of my flock. But we know the characteristics of the good shepherd. The good shepherd is one who necessarily lays down his life for his sheep. John 10 verse 11. And history records for us that Peter died, executed at the hands of Nero on the 13th of October, 64 AD. And early Christian writers point out that Peter, in an act of humility, not thinking himself worthy to follow in the way of Jesus, had himself crucified upside down. He was restored. He had a renewed life. He had a renewed purpose. But this purpose, this life, led him to the cross. For the gaining of one's life is only achieved in the giving of one's life. You see, when you come to deal with Jesus, you find in him that no one could ever ask for more than Jesus asked, and he will never settle for less. He wants you, he wants you all, dying to sell that you might live for him. So the application comes. As you enter this new year, 2020, is it your experience that you're carrying a, a sackload of shame? Do you feel burdened, twisted up because of the things you've done that were wrong in, in the year that has passed or the years that were passed? And I urge you to come to Jesus that you might find that burden lifted by him, that he might take it from you to forgive and renew you. Look to Him that, that He would set your heart ablaze, that He would uh, compensate for your lack of love by pouring His love into your heart by His Spirit. And allow Him to fit you for service, to get you back into the business of building His kingdom, honoring His name, serving him in this world, laying down your life that you might truly live. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us, a word that offers hope and help, of restoration and renewal. Failure is not final with you. There is this cleansing of our sin, there is this strengthening of our weakness, there is this guiding of our wayward steps. Lord, you are the one who does this work and we submit ourselves to your hand. Deal with us according to our needs. So that we might be useful to you. Lord we know that we have fallen short. We have failed. When opportunity has come for us to. Declare our love for you. We have kept our mouths closed. We have just joined in with the rest of the world. No longer being distinguishable from it. Make us witnesses for Christ. Witnesses martyrs. Willing to lay down our lives. Willing to take scorn and shame. That Jesus might be honoured. His name declared. Others might learn of him. And live for him. Lord use us we pray. put your treasure in jars of clay.
1: We might live to the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Through whom we pray. Amen.